Good evening, everyone. It's, it's awesome to be here uh, with with family, um, and more and more, I think I'm coming to a greater appreciation of what it means to be the body, to be a spiritual family, um, and to me, that's what these nights are about. Um, they're about unpacking the gifts that God has given for the sake of the body of Christ, the spiritual family of God. So it really is a joy in the truest sense of what that means to be here with you, not just preaching, but to be part of this family. Um, cool. So we've looked over the last couple of months at the gift of the apostle. Um, and wouldn't you agree, it has been a powerful, powerful time understanding God's blueprint of how he builds his church and the gifts that he gives in order to see her formed, established, mature, living out the fullness of his intention um, for us as his people here on the earth. And so, like we looked at the Apostle in the, in the first month, um, this is the first week on the series of the Prophet. Um, and the Prophet is the second gift in God's order, not hierarchy, but ranking order um, of gifts. And just like a husband and wife functioning together in a marriage, the five different gifts aren't an order of importance, but an order of function. And so to me, to understand the fivefold, I've had a lot of people say, well, what, why is this important? Why don't we just talk about Jesus? Don't I just have to get to know Jesus? And you do. But yet, like in any family, having a mother and a father, both of those two together, provides the best possible opportunity for a child to grow into the fullness of maturity. Now, to have one parent, you know, I work a lot with people who are solo parents, and having one parent, you can do an incredible job, and you can raise a really mature child, but no one would dispute that having both make up a whole, make up the best possible opportunity for a child to reach the fullness of maturity, and I'm talking in a spiritual context here, not, not a physical one. And so looking at these different gifts to us as a body, it provides, if we can understand them, receive them, grow in the gifts ourselves, if that's a calling that God has on our lives, it provides us as a body the best possible opportunity to know God and to grow in him to the fullest measure. So that's why it's important. It's not freaky, it's not weird, it's not super spiritual. It's God's blueprint and his pattern and his design for building his people, the church. So tonight, we're going to be looking at the gift of the apostle. And what I might do is I'll just read Ephesians 4, um, which is the context for not just the apostle, but all the gifts. So if you come to Ephesians 4.
And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So like you've just heard, these gifts are about building, and the building of the body. And like the apostle we've heard is a builder, the prophet too is also a builder. Now the common perception, I think, in the body of Christ today, is that the prophet is just a blesser. You fly them in from overseas. They speak a few encouraging words, tell you, read your palms, tell you your fortune, and then they go back and and you never see them again. Now, is there some relevance to that? Absolutely. That, to, not, sorry. (laughs) Not, yeah, not, not reading your palms. But is there, is there a purpose for a person bringing a word of knowledge to an individual? Absolutely. It's part of God's pattern, but it's not the primary function of the prophet. And we're going to unpack today not what a prophet isn't, but what it really is. And I'm bringing to light what is. You'll see, or I hope what you'll see is a realignment in our thinking to the ultimate and eternal purposes of God that the prophet is called to declare. So, can anyone just become a prophet? Is it something, do you wake up in the morning and think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a prophet today? Let's have a look at Jeremiah. No prophet pills. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you, or set you apart. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, there's not a whole lot of human decision (laughs) in before you were born. So if you ever thought that this is something that you could choose, then here we see Jeremiah called as a prophet to the nation from his mother's womb. Now we might not all be called as a prophet to the nations, but all of us were called before we were even conceived. And this prophet... Jeremiah is a snapshot. He's a forerunner. He's an example of what we as a church are to be and to become. Called before the foundations of the world, before he was conceived in his mother's womb. Being a prophet is not something that we choose. 
It's something that God chooses. And yet, even in the divine call of God and his sovereign choice, prophets aren't just chosen, they're formed. Prophets have history with God. They have process. Greg shared in his series about his picture of size 13 shoes and a young man growing to fill those shoes. And so even though prophets are divinely called, that doesn't disqualify the process that they must all go through of humility, of brokenness, of surrender, of being shaped, molded, formed, fashioned, having their every thought, attitude, perspective shaken, realigned, and brought back into God's divine order, way of thinking and way of seeing. Prophets don't represent themselves. They represent him. And so there's a process that has to take place where a man is broken and humiliated in the truest sense of what humiliation is. Not shamed, but being made humble by God himself. It's this process that allows and ensures that when a prophet gets up to speak, to act, to walk out, it comes from the very authority of God himself and not from their own thoughts, agenda, or will. This is a pattern that we see in Scripture. Moses, the great prophet of God. Moses was an apostle, but he was also a prophet. And he had to go through 40 years in the backside of the desert in preparation for the ultimate call of God, leading the people of God into everything that God had for them. We have a look at Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robes filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We sung about this this morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But the part that we didn't sing about is, woe is me, for I am ruined. (laughs) I'm a man of unclean lips. Get Jaden to add that one to the song sheet for next week. Isaiah, the great prophet of God. No, Isaiah was a prophet before this event took place. And God came to him. 
and he saw the Lord. I said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw Christ and the fullness of who he was. I saw his glory, his majesty, and it brought me to my knees. It brought me to the place of utmost surrender that he would cry out, Woe is me, I am ruined or I am undone. He saw he was a man of sight and a man of revelation and a man of brokenness and humility. So this is the posture that prophets speak from. I said it's the testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy. It's the testimony. It's the true work of God that is formed within the hearts of his people. That is the spirit that prophets not only speak from, but live from. It's not just the message, it's the man. And the man is the message because the man has gone through the process of having the true knowledge of God formed in his inner core. So a prophet is a prophet before he even opens his mouth. He's a prophet in thinking. An attitude, his life prophesies, his life demonstrates, his life speaks of the sovereign work of God. A man brought from death to life, a man who was lost and is now found, and his life radiates the glory of God. And from that posture, he speaks. And when he speaks, his words have power and they cut and they penetrate. Because the very word that's gone to work in his heart is now being proclaimed and is producing that same work in the hearts of those who hear it. So it's from this posture that prophets build. I wonder, have you ever thought of the prophet as a builder before? Oh, we better have a look at the notes, eh? First uh, little blank spot, like I said, there are two types of ministry. We heard about this last time. Ministry that blesses and ministry that builds. Prophets are often thought of as people who have a ministry of blessing. And that is absolutely part of the role for a prophet and the role for us all as believers. But what we're going to look at tonight is the primary role of the prophet, not as a blesser, but as a builder. If we have a look back in Jeremiah 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Just after Jeremiah's divine calling, says this, See, I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, 
to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is the role of the prophet. Now, because of his history with God and the work of God within his heart, having been broken from his own self-life, self-agenda, self-will, he's a man of immense love and passion for people. Jeremiah, possibly one of the most ruthless prophets in the Bible, was known as the weeping prophet because he walked in a measure of brokenness and love for the people of God. Prophets see that even when others think they're tearing down, they're actually building up. They don't see loss. They don't see lack. The harshest rebuke is not overthrowing and plucking out. It's an opportunity to build. And that is always their heart, is to build up. They see the purpose, the eternal purpose of God, and they are committed to building towards that eternal purpose and will do whatever it takes and go to places that others wouldn't normally go to see the people of God walk in the fullness of life that's available in Christ. God spoke to Moses and says and said be very careful that you build according to the pattern that was given to you on the mountain. And prophets build with an end in mind. They're specific they're purposeful. They're heading for the target. There's no uncertainty about it. They see what is the divine goal of God and the purpose that he has for his people. That the people would truly know God and love God and would become like Christ. And everything that they do is centered around that macro purpose that he has for them. In your notes, it's no surprise that in the Old Testament, sorry, Old Testament are the first two words, prophets were referred to as seers. They had sight of God's blueprint for his people and were able to build towards that blueprint. Oh, sorry. It is no surprise that in the Old Testament, prophets were referred to as seers. S-E-E-R-S. See you is like seeing with your eyes. That's <laughs> not a trick question. <laughs> and then the next sentence, they had sight of God's blueprint for his people and were able to build toward that blueprint. Prophets primarily build by bringing to light God's macro purpose for his people and walking with them in order to see that purpose formed and established on the earth. Ephesians chapter 3. This is Paul. When you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations 
was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Skipping down a bit. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the prophets had sight of the eternal purpose of God in a way that they could bring to light his plan for his people. They say outrageous statements like this, that God would create all things so that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities. Prophets don't think that it's too extravagant that all of creation was created for one purpose alone. That the people of God would walk out the plans and purposes that God would have for them, that they would make known a wisdom, the demonstration of the very life of Christ to an unseen, invisible realm. It's only a prophet who can bring to light that mystery, something that is hidden, unseen. And yet that's the wisdom that us as a body are to be operating in and from. Prophets, uh, sorry, uh, in your notes. Prophets rightly divide the word of God so that God's heart mind and intentions become clear to his people. Prophets rightly divide the word of God so that God's heart, mind and intentions become clear to his people. We often think of the prophet as a man of prophecy or prophesying, and they absolutely are. But have you ever thought of the prophet as a man of the word? Not the pieces of paper, but the macro word, the living word, the person of Jesus Christ. Prophets are those who see Christ for who he truly is and not as man would make him to be. I'm going to read this this statement again. Prophets build by bringing to light God's macro purpose for his people and walking with them to see it established. On the earth. They bring God's macro purpose to light through, this isn't in your notes, but write it down proclamation and demonstration. 
proclamation and demonstration. Prophets don't just read the word, teach the word, speak the word, they live the word. And from living the word, they're able to speak with an authority that is not of this earth. I'm going to read to you something. Came across this the other day unintentionally, but I think it speaks of the way a, a prophet or a prophetic person thinks. It's Isaiah 62, and this is a prophet Isaiah. For Zion's sake, verse 1 if you're looking, for Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not keep quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness, and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and the kings your glory, and you'll be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You'll be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem, sorry, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate. But you will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Wow. This isn't New Testament, this is Old Testament. And yet, in the prophet's sight, there is no distinction between new and old. There's only the new. There's only what God is doing on the earth. There's only his eternal purpose that always and ever was the same. That the people of God would become his bride. Let's have a look again. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. Who is Zion? And who is Jerusalem? It's the people of God. And Isaiah is saying, I can't keep quiet. I can't keep silent until something takes place. Until her righteousness goes forth like brightness. And her salvation like a torch that is burning. I can't keep quiet until the people of God come into the fullness of life that is available to them and become who they're called to be until the righteousness goes forth like brightness and until, sal until her salvation is like a torch that is burning. Until we're the city on a hill are people who are so staggering because of their righteousness, because of the salvation of their God, Isaiah can't keep quiet. See, Isaiah isn't some prophet who comes and goes and flits away. He's a father. 
And like any father who oversees a family, he's not prepared to let the climate, the culture, the purpose of that family slip by. And like in our family, if things get a bit out of whack and people in the household are not living (laughs) the way that they should, he can't let that slide because he's a father. He cares too much. There's no such thing as your business isn't my business. It is when you're the family of God. And on the other hand, if he sees something that is good, that is worth encouraging, he can't keep silent because it's every opportunity for the church, for the family of God to come into the fullness of what they're called to. Awesome, eh? Awesome. What a heart. What a perspective. What a way of thinking. He takes ownership. A prophet is someone who takes ownership, not just for themselves, but for their flock, for their family. Paul, he said, I've betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. He doesn't say Christ has betrothed himself to you. He says, I have, I've betrothed you. I'm invested into you. And a prophet is invested and in community. And in fact, I would say one of the greatest signs of a false prophet is that they're a lone ranger. Because the prophet's thinking is always the body before it's ever individuals. It's always the maturity, the building up of people every single time above and beyond their own personal calling. Prophets always prepared to wait. Maybe it takes 40 years, maybe 80 years before God is ready for them to speak. But yet they abide, they remain, they're part of the family, the community of God. So back to the macro purpose. Prophets bring to light God's heavenly purpose for his people. Um, Should I have that in your notes here? God's macro purpose for the church is heavenly in nature. All right. While the church is called to influence the world, so you fill in the blank, influence the world, the primary purpose of the church is not to to perform any earthly function, but a heavenly one. Oh yes. Um, oh, so just fill in the macro, or the micro, and the macro. The first one, which is actually the bottom one, earthly is the micro, and heavenly is the macro. So prophets are concerned about the micro. They're concerned about the earthly things, the normal things, the natural things of life as a second-place priority to what they see as being truly important, which is the heavenly things. So, for example, in the body of Christ today, we see so many pockets of the body 
who are concerned about something that is earthly as opposed to heavenly. Where the ultimate purpose of the community is to feed the hungry, is to heal the sick, is signs and wonders, is miracles, is homing the homeless. Now, those are all good, right things. They're all part of God's package for us as a church and as us as church community. But the fact that they are the ultimate purpose of that community says that there has been no prophetic influence in that community. There's been no prophetic word to lift the eyes of the people above the things of earth and to realign and to define those things in light of his heavenly and eternal purpose that he has for us. The issue is not those things. They're all right and they're all good, but they always need to be aligned to the heavenly call that God has. That's why there's a functioning order. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, pastors, evangelists. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. It is so important that when you read that, and when we're talking in this context, we're not, everything that I'm, I just wanted to say something, everything that I'm saying about prophets and what is truly prophetic is not just for prophets. Prophets are, like spiritual fathers, they're the forerunners, they're the snapshot, they're the example of who the church, the corporate body are to become. So if you're hearing today and thinking, oh, it's nice to hear about prophets, it's a bit interesting, but that's not really me. No, it is you. <laughs> Did you know that you've got a prophetic calling? All of you. As a church, as the corporate body, we have a prophetic calling. We're called to know him, to demonstrate him with our lives, and that our lives would speak of who he is. Just as a side note, come and have a look at this. Hebrews 1. Or just listen if you'd like. God, I'd rather that you listen, actually. By the time you get there, it'll be over. (laughs) God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. God spoke long ago and in days past through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. But now he has spoken to us, not through his son, not by his son, not through the words of his son, but in his son, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. God spoke 
not by words, but by sending his son, the exact representation of his nature. God spoke through demonstration, through the radiation of his nature. And for us, we are called to be a prophetic church, a church who speaks, who testifies of the divine work of God. God spoke through a demonstration, and he's calling us to be a prophetic church whose speaking is one of the people of God growing up or becoming mature. And it says that when the people of God can be unified, a lost world will look at them and know that Christ was sent for them. God spoke through his son, through the example. I speak to Levi through who I am. And in me, he sees what he's becoming. Before I teach him, before I say anything, he's becoming like me. It's awesome, hey? Fascinating. It's another kind of speaking. I hope that we can be that church who doesn't just give lip service, but whose very character and life speaks of the divine work of God, penetrating their hearts, that we would be a snapshot of as a body at the rock of what the people of God are called to be. Point number two, prophets bring to light God's corporate purpose. It's written in your notes, God's macro purpose for the church is always the body as a first place priority. And in the fill in the blanks, God's primary purpose for the church is as a functioning body, not as isolated individuals. I'll read that again. God's primary purpose for the church is as a functioning body, not as isolated individuals. While we may all have different roles, functions, and assignments, we all have one calling. Have you thought of that before? That the calling on your life is the calling on my life. We don't have separate callings. And the prophet sees from a heavenly perspective, from a corporate perspective, from a body-first perspective, seeing that the call on your life is the call of my life. And so we're able to encourage each other as a body on that process. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Just in case you thought I was making that up, it's in the scripture. <laughs> and the classic one, for I know the plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. We've heard about this before. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For you, context being Israel, the corporate, the body. I know the plans I have for you, and I know the plans that God has for all of you. 
I don't need to be a prophet to know the plans that I've just told you what the plans are. So now you know what God's plan is for the person sitting next to you. There's no confusion. There's no ambiguity. There's a corporate purpose for the people of God. And part of looking at the series on the fivefold is for us as a corporate body, looking what it, looking at what it means for the church to be built up, for all the individual parts to fit together. And so your business is my business. We're all part of the same household, part of the same family. And now, it's easy to think that if someone else was to grow in their gift, that we're in some way missing out or that God doesn't have enough for us. Actually, for someone to grow in their gift is the best thing that could ever possibly happen to you because it provides you with a better opportunity to know him. And that's the beauty of the body and the corporate call that God has. And so prophets see that corporate purpose and are the biggest killjoys <laughs> when people make individual plans and calling the ultimate purpose of God. They see, actually, you're called for something holier, bigger, more magnificent, more fantastic than that. They don't settle for you having your ultimate calling to be eating pancakes on Tuesday next week when you're called to be an astronaut as part of a team that's about to fly and land on Mars. I love pancakes. <laughs> And if someone was, say, was to say to me that you're going to have pancakes, I would be stoked. <laughs> and we should be. We should be encouraged. We should be encouraged by the micro word of God for the individual word. And I have been. And there's been some really significant words that I've had. I know quite a number of years ago when David McCracken, the father of Steve, who was here a couple of weeks ago, picked me out and a crowd of people, and I remember, Kirk will remember, my big hair. I was wearing a ripped T-shirt. I had a big shaggy beard. I didn't look the part at all. <laughs> and I can specifically remember feeling like a bit gross that day. And he picked me out of the crowd and he said, you, you're going to be, he said, he said I, I see you standing with an enormous sword, but it's rusty and it's jagged. And it's broken. And he said that sword needs to be refined through the word and through walking in discipleship with others. Because you're going to be someone who stands and proclaims the word of God. And when people hear, there will be a sense of awe and wonder. And he said to me as a probably 18, 19-year-old guy that hundreds of people will be in awe when you preach what a, what a dangerous word to give to a young person. That is risky. But it encouraged me no end. And it has built and encouraged me to do what I'm doing now, especially in light of some pretty major blunders. <laughs> 
it's the micro word and it's encouraging. But yet, if I was to form my identity in that word, my mum would say, by golly. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be finished. Because the micro word is important, but it's the macro word, it's the purpose that he has for the body. That's not my purpose. The word that I just described to you is not my calling for a second. My calling is to know him and to love him. And that's your calling too. And so we can't get caught up in the temporary, in the individualistic thinking, because our gifts are only as good as the measure of benefit that they bring to the whole. Um, (laughs) uh, Our our gifts are only as valuable as the measure of benefit that they bring to the whole. Point number three. Prophets bring to light God's eternal purpose. You'll see in your notes, God's macro purpose for the church is eternal. And in your fill in the blanks, God has a purpose for the church that extends beyond our short lives. It is the understanding of the eternal which creates purpose Passion, life, and motivation now. I'll read that again. God has a purpose for the church that extends beyond our short lives. It is the understanding of the eternal which creates such such purpose, passion, life, and motivation now. Do you want me to read it one more time? God has a purpose for the church that extends beyond our short lives. It is the understanding of the eternal, I could say eternal purpose, which creates such purpose, passion, life, and motivation now. When I read, especially the Old Testament, the prophets were apocalyptic in their thinking. It's a big word. Apocalyptic. They saw the apocalypse is not when zombies roam the earth. It's the unveiling. That's what the word means. The unveiling of Christ. They saw the eternal purpose that God had for his people and they were adamant that the day of the Lord was at hand. It's at the door. He's coming back. And that's the posture that they lived their lives from. There was such intensity, such purpose in urging the people of God not to live for the things of the earth, not to work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. 
Revelation. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Having an eternal gospel. So if you're hearing a gospel that is not eternal, you're not hearing the gospel. Because the gospel is an eternal message. But it's an eternal message that Eternal in the sense that it lasts forever, not the sense that it's future. It's both now and future. And John saw an angel flying in mid-heaven who had an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. This is all of our calling. This is what we are all invited into. The eternal purpose of God. The spirit of the age is one of the now. I'm an economic student or have been an economic student. And we learnt about what was called Keynesian economics. I don't know if any of you have heard of that before. Keynesian economics. But what it really is is it's all about economic debt and the mentality and the thinking behind it is spend it up now because in the end we're going to be dead anyway so it doesn't matter what happens in the future as long as we can get what we want now. Did you know that that's the foundation that our governments are built on and the way that they operate? That's the world economic system. It's the spirit of the age. It's now, not in the context of the eternal life, now that lasts, in the the context of that which is perishing, becoming the ultimate and most important thing in our lives. Am I running out of time, Kurt? Is that sleep? I'm not too far off. Now, that macro word, the heavenly word, the corporate word, and the eternal word is not always easy to swallow. And it provides conflict and confrontation whenever it's demonstrated and whenever it's preached. And to give you an example or a typology, I've worked as a case manager at Work and Income. And I sit down at my desk um, and we have a whole lot of people that come in and they might ask for something like a food grant or help to pay their power bill. And I'll look at their account and I'll say, oh, okay, you need money for food. We gave you money for food last week. And again, a month of, the month before that and the month before that, and there's a pattern of coming back and asking for the same thing over and over again. And so I can either bless give them what they think they need, or right then and there I've got the opportunity to build and to say, actually, what you need isn't a quick fix. What you need is to learn how to manage your money, to budget, to maybe go to Salvation Army and work with someone in terms of managing your household better. And right in that moment, there's a confrontation between what they think they need and what they want 
and what they actually need? And who's the person who's prepared to say no and put up with the crap that comes as a result to deny people what they think they need for what they actually need? You're always the baddie. So there's a confrontation, there's a clash in thinking, but yet it's the people that are prepared to go there with their brothers. This is just a typology of heavenly spiritual things, what it looks like to walk out this walk as a body. And prophets are prepared. They see the bigger picture, the eternal. And while sometimes they bless, their primary purpose is to build and to build into the future of that person and not just their immediate need. So prophets love people too much to continue just to bless, to continue to leave them where they truly are. And as fathers of the household, they speak the word in and amongst the confrontation that will ultimately build and bring the people up into the fullness of maturity that's in Christ. So in your notes, as prophets encourage the people to move forward towards God's eternal purpose, this can either make people feel insecure or inspired. We heard one of those words this morning. And so I think we covered this point, last point earlier, but I'll just say it for the sake of the notes. Prophets don't just proclaim the word, they demonstrate it. Prophets don't just speak the word, they live the word. And it is this living testimony of Christ within them which gives immense weight and power to their spoken proclamation. So my prayer is that we would become a prophetic people, a people whose lives speak of the testimony of the work of God within them to a world who so desperately need to know their King and their God. So maybe we could just pray that we would become that people. Father, I pray that the word that's been spoken tonight would penetrate deeply within our hearts, that we would become a prophetic people, a people who see you, who know you, whose lives have been intertwined with yours who have been taught by you, and that we would be a living demonstration to our families, to our schools, our communities, of who Christ is and the awesome purpose that he's called us into. So, Father, we pray that not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, you would make us that people. In Jesus' name. Um, I just want to take the next, I think it's about 40 minutes, till 7, okay? 
um, I think it's 6.16 now till 7, just to enter into dialogue at your tables. Um, there's so many amazing points, and I'm pretty sure that everyone has at least one thing that they'd want to dialogue about with what you've heard. So just at your table, just maybe select someone that can facilitate the discussion, um, and let's just dialogue about what you've just heard, because there's so much meat within that. If you need to go, um, you know, feel free to go. So you have the license to go, um, but we did shift the time to five to seven just to give more time to be able to enter into. But if you need to go, feel free to go. Um, so there's no no restriction there. Um, so is that cool? Is that clear? Um, just want to thank you, Sam, for bringing for bringing that. That was powerful. And I just want to reiterate the point that like all these giftings, they are to be forerunners to model a reality for everyone. So they are a model of what the church is expected to be and live in. And that's the beauty of that, that they crack into realms of the Spirit, share it, and then we all follow to enter into the reality that they're in. Awesome. So it's for all of us, which is cool. All right, let's um let's have some awesome discussion.